Hi, everyone. Welcome to HR Works, brought to you by BLR. I'm your host, Steve Bruce. HR Works provides clear, relevant, actionable information on topics that matter to HR professionals. When you're armed with best practices and strategies to attract, retain, and engage top talent and deliver exceptional value to your organization, HR works. L&D, learning and development. It's moving to the forefront for HR managers, not just for the importance of developing skills, but to maintain engagement and retention of employees who demand to stay up with new developments in their fields. Of course, there are new developments in L&D as well, and one of the most challenging today is the somewhat annoying fact <laughs> that the consumers of our training increasingly want to access it through their smartphones. Uh, here, we've finally perf- perfected our interactive PowerPoint and video skills for the big screen, and now we have to accomplish the same task with a screen two inches wide. Fortunately, today's guest, Michael White, can help. He's the Director of Research and Development for CGS Enterprise Learning, an award-winning provider of corporate learning solutions. His primary research focus is advanced technology for the authoring, publishing, and visualization of multimedia and interactive learning content. He has expertise in responsive web technologies for learning, mobile learning applications, real-time 3D graphics, and HTML5-based e-learning. He has been nominated for a Canadian Gemini Award and won a Brandon Hall Award for Best Advance in Rapid Authoring. He joins us in our series of podcasts that we're recording live at BLR's Workforce L&D Conference in Las Vegas, where he's presenting on the topic of mobile design considerations to satisfy micro-learning objectives. Micah, welcome to HR Works. Hey, Steve. Uh, I'm very excited to be here. Thanks for having me. Great. Uh, Let's begin with this. How essential is it for training and learning materials to be available on smartphones? That's a great question. Um, The phone is absolutely iconic. Uh, It's everywhere. I think it's extremely critical that uh, learning materials uh, operate exceedingly well on smartphone devices. So I look at it like this. If you go to work in the morning and if you leave your tablet at home, chances are you're going to drive into the office. Or if you have your Apple Watch or Fitbit, you'll probably keep the car moving. If you leave your smartphone at home, more chances than not, you're going to turn the car around and go get it. That's how important it is. That's me, for sure. So then I I guess I have to ask this. Is training through phones as effective as traditional training or more so or less so? Right. So I would say that it can absolutely be as effective, if not more. I'll give you a great example. If you go on to video-based training for, say, lindalearning.com, and you're using that training on your smartphone, you can actually turn the video speed up. And this is great. I know from experience doing programming courses, you can turn the speed up to two times the normal speed. You actually get used to the speaker speaking at an increased uh, you know, uh, uh, velocity. Uh, they're speaking faster than normal. Therefore, you can get through that material and learn faster. So that's an example where training works really well. Wow. So when we're talking about smartphones, but 
do we also assume that that material would work uh, just as effectively on tablets or laptops? Right. That's a great question. So people aren't just consuming content on their smartphone. They may have a smart device. It could be a small tablet, a big tablet, or it may be even a device that's not invented yet. It might be out next year. <laughs> so when you look at it, you have to design content that is responsive. Uh, the web design world had this problem and confronted this problem probably around the year 2010, 2011. The, the whole responsive design movement became a really big, uh, a big movement. The idea was when you go on a smart device, if your content isn't tailored to that device, you're going to have to pinch and zoom. You're going to have to look at content that was designed for a larger screen on a smaller screen. And it doesn't work all that great. You can see it with, uh, you know, PDF documents or, or, or say Word documents that you're looking at. You've got to zoom up and you've got to close it and open it. So responsive design really needs to be at the forefront of your delivery. Uh, when you build your content, you should start with the smartphone first because you've got the least real estate. Now, the phones are getting bigger and have been getting bigger all the time, but you're still constrained on the device. You've got, it might be held in a landscape mode or a portrait mode. So, so those things are really important to design for. So we recommend designing for the smartphone first. Now, when that content is shown on a bigger screen, there's value adds that you can have. You can have additional menus, progress indicators, but you need to pair those away perhaps on the phone display so that you're making the absolute use of the, of the real estate of the device. I see. So are there kinds of learning um, that aren't suitable for presenting on the smartphone? And on the other hand, are there any that are particularly well-suited? Right. So that, that's a really smart question. Um, let me just step back a little bit into, uh, you know, into the learning industry and where we've been. So for about a decade, the learning industry was centered on proprietary plugins to deliver the experience. Back in the old and olden days, say like the year 2001, 2002, uh, we used to develop solutions, <laughs> the ancient, ancient history. Uh, we used to develop solutions that worked, say, on the Netscape browser or the Internet Explorer 4 browser, and you needed to do all this testing. Proprietary plugins really gave a single platform. So there's a bunch of tried and true interaction models that are, that are uh, pedagogically sound that worked really well for learning. Things like drag and drop. Uh, progressive disclosure interaction. And the problem is, when you go to a smartphone device, they don't work as well anymore. It's been a real quandary for the industry. So, so templating that used to work extremely well. If you're dragging, dropping uh, terms into a bin, and then you're getting feedback uh, on which, if you've done them in the correct order or not, that doesn't necessarily, there's some technology, there's some technological uh, implications to that running on the smartphone. There's usability implications to that running on the smartphone. Mm -hmm. So, so some of the stuff that's been around a long time just doesn't work as well. So that's a really big thing. That's it's it, it's the the industry's had to change and adapt and have a look at mobile uh, architecture and the best design blueprints for that specific device and come up with some new ways of doing it. Now, now an example of something that works extremely well is video. So, so video delivery is a, is a video on a smartphone has always been a first class citizen. Uh, 
the devices needed to showcase it. They're pushing all those pixels out. The video looks absolutely beautiful. Even on older devices, this is not something that's happening now. It's been happening for, you know, seven, eight years or more. So video is a real go-to for format uh, in e-learning delivery. The problem is, where's the interactivity? So right. when you switch to video, you're becoming more passive. You're, you're listening and you're watching, and, but you're not getting that interaction. And, and the learning industry actually hinges on providing that value add, getting people engaged, p- getting people interacting. I, uh, uh, here in Las Vegas, uh, I saw one of the slot machines, and they have you pressing on the screen to do things. So you have the user, you know, the person that's using the machine, actually interacting with the machine. So... Uh, video is, is an area that works exceedingly well, but you have to try to find out where do we, we don't want to lose that interaction. All right. Thank you. So let's say you've got a learning requirement now of some type, and you want to design learning-based content for smartphones. What are the challenges that might arise uh, because of screen sizes you've mentioned and uh, other smartphone attributes? Right. So... If you've got content already that you're migrating uh, and you're going to have it on all devices, there's, there's human interface guidelines for the smartphone. Buttons need to be a certain uh, amount of height to them in order to be easily pressable. Text fields and text labels. So if, if you've got content that already exists and you're migrating, there could be some significant challenges. One approach is to scale the content to fit the screen. If your content's absolutely positioned, so what that means is if if the elements in your presentation have a a fixed X and Y coordinate on the screen, they can become compressed or squished, or they may not work as well on the phone uh, form factor. So that's a big concern. Uh, the, The fact that the user can hold the device in a landscape or a portrait mode, that can have an impact. If you've got a scenario that's built out in a landscape format, works perfectly. If they turn the phone, you have to be able to deal with that. So that's a big issue as well. Um, another big issue is a lot of multimedia content on devices. So when you think about uh, smartphones in particular, they have a protectionist strategy for saving the battery. So multimedia elements, multimedia elements need to be pressed on in order to be activated. So it may be the content author's design that animation would just start up on a screen or a video would autoplay. If you're operating in the mobile web, you may have to take into account that the users need to press to activate. Uh, in the traditional, you know, that decade of, uh, of e-learning interactivity that I spoke about, there was a lot of sound, things done with sound effects, people talking, um, uh, and that stuff might be, pre- you might need to press on the screen in order to start it. So those are considerations as well. Thanks. So in general, I'm wondering, when you design content, I think you mentioned you designed uh, for the phone first, but do you generally design for all the formats, formats when you do something? Right. That's, that's a good question. So, so we do. We need to find out, is the phone an absolutely re- required format? And we believe it is. So we start with the phone design first. We know if that we can nail it on the phone design, the rest will flow. Um, we really do pitch and we really do subscribe to the idea of making learning content responsive. So that will mean that it'll play well on the phone, it'll play well on a tablet, and then play well on a PC as well. We kind of give a tablet 
we give a tablet a, a sort of a, a free pass because it's very much like a computer monitor running on a PC or a Mac. So if you've got a 9.7 or a 12-inch tablet, you're pretty close to what the design looks like uh, on, a, on a PC format. But we start with the phone design actually first, and we do absolutely want to reinforce having a responsive output for the learning. So you've said uh, that smartphone platforms generally uh, they lend themselves to micro-learning. Right. Could you explain that a little bit? Uh, <laughs> Maybe just define micro-learning for us as a start? Sure. So, micro-learning. Micro-learning is uh, it's sort of in the spin zone, or it's like in a buzz. There's a buzz about the term. So, uh, there's a lot of different organizations who have kind of stuck their stake in the stand. When I think of micro-learning, so f- micro, uh, it's small. It's smaller. How small is it? It's very small. Um, <laughs> The learning industry, you know, how it used to be done was you would get a detailed design together, you would collect up all the terminal learning objectives, and then you would basically order them in a sequence that's a series of uh, modules or topics, and you would start the the courseware, the web-based training, you'd say... Uh, you know, in this course, you're going to learn the following 12 things. Well, that doesn't work. Things are accelerated, right? So micro-learning is usually a singular learning objective that's done in a short amount of time. Some of its attributes, it's developed quickly. It can be assessed for its effectiveness and then removed if it's not successful. So a lot of it is about continuous delivery and continuous improvement. You want to get a single learning uh, object out there, and then you want to assess how well it's doing, how well does it, does it uh, solve the problem that you're trying to solve. And then there's an, in this assessment period, you can prune away the ones that maybe aren't working as well, and then you can add new ones. But in terms of length, uh, micro-learning uh, is typically two minutes to four minutes long. Hmm. It, it's a singleton. So in the same way that you type in your Google browser, you get lots of results, but you're usually looking for one thing. Uh, I type in my browser, what's the temperature in Las Vegas today? It pops up with a nice little picture, lets me know the temperature, and I'm done. So it's really a single use. That, that's, a, that's a really good, I think, uh, defining characteristic. Hi, everyone. I'm Chris Soplensky, the producer of HR Works. We'll get you right back to the second half of Steve's interview with Michael White, recorded at our Workforce L&D conference in just a bit. I just wanted to say a quick word about the 2018 Workforce L&D Conference, taking place November 15th and 16th at the Paris Hotel in Las Vegas. At Workforce L&D, you'll learn from the nation's top learning and employee engagement professionals how to build a superior professional development program that supports business growth and workforce retention. The agenda features insightful keynotes from coveted experts, substantive presentations, and interactive learning labs, guaranteeing you leave with real concrete takeaways to apply at your company. To reserve your seat today, visit store.blr.com workforce LD. That's store.blr.com workforce LD. And HR Works listeners can get $50 off the conference price. Just type HR Works, all one word, in the discount code box when you register. Now back to Steve. Okay, now let's say um, I've got a library of learning materials that are all designed for a large screen presentation. 
What design criteria should L&D managers keep in mind if they want to adapt that training for mobile learning? Okay. That's a really smart question. So, so I, I, I touched on it a little bit previously, um, talking about how the screen is laid out, and that's a huge indicator. Um, if the screen presentation format is hard-coded to fit the larger screen, you could run into problems when you try to purpose it on a mobile device. There's a very popular authoring platform out there called Articulate Storyline. Storyline is a best of breed. It's been very successful. We build, uh, you know, my learning team probably builds 85% of, of e-learning content in the Storyline tool. Uh, this tool takes an approach where it scales the content down to fit your screen. We run into all sorts of issues, and if you're not sure, if you haven't done this a lot, you, you really need to test because text fields can become quite small. You may have readability concerns. Buttons, if they're not designed with a high enough pixel ratio width and height, may become difficult to click on when you, when you tap. Now, in the, in the case of Articulate, they've, they've, uh, they've improved the tool and they've added uh, swiping and, and mobile-friendly menus to, to sort of improve it. There's only so far they can take it. They've actually got a new tool out called Articulate Rise that came out about a year ago, and that's a from-the-bottom-up responsive design tool. So you can see which way the wind is going, in a sense. They've got this amazing tool that's got a great user base and makes phenomenal content, but they acknowledge themselves that it's not going to get us all the way there on smartphones. So there's a, a new tool. It's web-based in the cloud, and you author from the ground up responsively so that you hit all device uh, formats. So you've got, you've got a choice now. That's just one vendor's approach to it, but I think it really illustrates the case that uh, you need to really be concerned if your content is on a large screen format. It, you could have problems on the, on the small device. Oh, great. That's very helpful for everybody. So I've seen smartphone polling and other activities used in training to supplement the large screen learning. But is smartphone training useful in group situations where everybody has their own screen, essentially? Absolutely. So, so there's, a couple, there's a couple great things here. Uh, I'll give you a personal example. I use uh, Facebook Messenger. Uh, and my college buddies uh, get on an impromptu uh, party line once in a while, and we all jump on, and it's amazing. It really brings people together. In the same way, virtual instructor-led training that was typically done on a desktop browser using popular, to popular tools like WebEx or Adobe Connect, they now have mobile apps. So you can have that same virtual instructor-led experience uh, on your smartphone. Now, there are some limitations in the apps. Uh, I would say to people, you know, make sure you test and find out. A lot of people seem to complain, like, maybe their favorite feature is missing or not quite there yet, so you need to look at it. But it really enables people anywhere, people that are deskless workers that may not have a fixed area to work in. If they have access to a smart device, they can participate in a virtual class. So I think it's a, it's a very, uh, it, you know, it's a very solid idea. And I'll just give one more example um, you've probably heard in, with the new iPhone coming out that Apple has thrown its weight behind augmented reality. Uh, a lot of people know augmented reality because of that Pokemon Go game and there's some other things. We've been working with augmented reality in various formats over the last 10 years. We've noted that Apple has really thrown a lot of its capability behind the format. There are new apps coming that are giving us new learning experiences that we never had. I'll give you an example. If you send a technician on a truck roll, and they go out to a job site, and they're working on a piece of equipment. 
you know, you'd want to hope that they'd be able to handle any situation that's thrown at them. They've got support, they've got their experience, they've got their training. But, you know, one time out of 100 or out of 50 or whatever the case may be, they may need some help. They could get on the phone and talk to somebody. But what's happening now is apps are coming out and being developed where they can actually share their phone screen in real time. They connect back to the headquarters, and you've got a senior technologist or a senior technician that can actually see through their smartphone camera. They can tap, and they can manipulate the screen from their end. If you're doing spark plugs in a car, let's say, you've got the hood up, the person can actually circle where the spark plug would go, where that fuse needs to be. Uh, you, you can call up, if you've got a system running, you can actually show uh, a, de- a demonstration of how the smart spark plug will go into the engine. And that gives someone additional utility. You don't have to do that second truck roll. You don't have to call back with another team. Uh, you can still solve the problem. So those are some really exciting areas. That is. That's fascinating. So then... Um I know that CGS has a large international presence. Yes. So if you want your materials to be useful in other countries, do you just re-record or dub, or, or what are the considerations? Right. So it's true that, uh, that we, do, we do dub video, and we do, um, sometimes we hard-code the translations, and then we'll, uh, an author will go through and, and change the text into a different language. We take external closed captioning files, and we will do machine translations sometimes. The key is you really need to know what your outcome, what your learning population is going to tolerate. There are places where a single mistake in a closed captioning reel will be a showstopper. So machine translation probably is not the best approach. It might get you started, but then you need to have experts come in and review it, make sure it's absolutely perfect. Sometimes they'll tolerate it, so you can just do a machine translation. If a couple words, look at YouTube. I mean, it's not perfect, but it all depends on what the audience is really expecting. If it's something in compliance... Uh, then you know obviously you 're not going to want to have any mistakes in the uh, in the in the closed captioning uh, we 've done projects you know for for learning populations in Asia. They have a preference where the video stays in English and they actually just have the closed captioning so they want the English kept they like listening to English maybe they 're learning English maybe they 're fluent so so it 's really getting the requirements nailed down is key so CGS will go and find out you know what is the absolute out- outcome that 's needed and then we ad- we adapt uh, sort of the best, most proficient way to get it done based on the requirement. Wow, this this is all fascinating to me. <laughs> Lots of exciting things happening. Um, to sum this all up, any final tips or recommendations for our listeners? Yeah, absolutely. So, so you know, there, there's a lot in the news. Like the iPhone 10 is out. So the, so the iPhone's been out in 10 years, and we really do... We have many devices, Android devices, and we, we carry you know both uh, both major platforms. Uh, uh, but the iPhone is ten years, so you'd think in a sense that a lot of the mobile delivery options would be well seated and and matured. But the but the but the reality is that new technology features are coming out all the time. Things are moving at a break breakneck speed, and the expectations of users are at an all time high. There's a profit motive in the app stores. The apps are polished. They're extremely well designed. Uh, they make a lot of money from, from monetizing content or selling the apps or showing ads in the apps. And there's a really big profit motive there. So, so for the learning world, the, the expectations are super high. If, if you come in with something that's half-baked and it's hard to click on and, and – uh, 
you know, if it just doesn't present in a commercial grade fashion, it's uh, it could be a, you could have a really big problem with user adoption. So, so responsive design is something that we always uh, recommend. There's tools out there that give it to you. Uh, I know that we use tools to do it. We also have specialists that build things from the ground up, and you may too. Uh, but definitely responsive design. Um, I'd also say you don't need the fanciest tools in the world in order to create content for mobile devices. People will say, you know, what are the, what's the best? What's the best? And, uh, you know, we all sit with Adobe Creative Cloud, uh, uh, Creative uh, Seats, and uh, we have access to all the, all the best tools. There are other tools out there that are at a fraction of the price that can get you there too. So you don't need to splurge. Um, you just need to assess and test what you're building. And if it works well, then, then and it shows well on the device. That leads me to uh, a testing idea. Uh, we recommend that you test on absolutely real devices. There's a lot of services out there, and they're great. Like, don't get me wrong, they are good. But they don't satisfy an emulated environment. If you go on and get an emulator to test your content, that's a great first step. But if you really want to be sure that the content performs well, you need to do it on real hardware. So we recommend that you have that real hardware. It's a drag when you've got, like, many devices in a, in a suitcase or I something, guess. right? But but you've got to have it. So, so uh you know, and keeping a, keeping a really consistent interface to what you're trying to do, too. If you're rolling out, you know, a variety of learning objects, uh, WBT or web-based training, if you've got videos, if you can come up with sort of a consistent, uh, uh, you know, it won't confuse learners. It won't, it won't force them to think each time they access something. So you, you've, they really expect that commercial grade. And we, we talk about it all the time. We invest super heavily in, in, uh, in providing that professional or commercial grade uh, look and feel. And that's something that you've got to, it's aspirational. You need, you need to get there. Well, this is great. Lots of practical advice and also uh, lots of things for everybody to think about. Uh, thanks so much for being with us today. Hey, it's my pleasure. Thank you. You are welcome. Listeners, let me know what HR Works should cover next. sbruce at blr.com. Thanks for listening. This is Steve Bruce for HR Works. <laughs>